Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. With this episode, I noticed that we talked in depth about some topics that aren't really as important, and we didn't speak enough on some of the more common and accessible ways to help with gut health. When we first recorded this episode a couple years ago, I knew so much less about gut health than I do now. So for this episode, I actually done something different than what I did when reviewing the other episodes. What I did was I went through and I cut about half of the episode that I just felt wasn't necessary. And this was to make room to add in information that I felt was missing or could have been better explained. So if you hear a change in my tone mid-sentence, that's probably because I updated the info. Like always, we have done our best to provide helpful and correct information, but please do your own research on this topic and on every topic that we talk about. And additionally, don't hesitate to reach out to us if you think that we haven't conveyed the information accurately or there's something that we need to update. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we're going to talk about your gut health why it's so important, and some steps that you can do to help it. This episode is really a continuation of the episodes that we did about digestive disturbances and some causes of digestive disturbances and some solutions to digestive disturbances. So we really recommend that you go back and listen to those episodes because they're just chock full of reasons why you might be having constipation or diarrhea or bloating or flatulence, or some of these other digestive disturbances and problems that seem to really present themselves for people like us who are living with endometriosis. Before we start, we just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, there are different ways that you can support us. For example, you can go to iTunes slash Apple Podcasts and you can rate or review the podcast. We love reading what you've written about the podcast. If you love hanging out with us, we encourage you to invite other people you know to hang out with us too by sharing us on social media so more people can hear about us and tune in and join our community. Okay, so Amy, you said that gut health is important and we're going to learn all about it. Why is it important? 
duh, Brittany, because I don't want to have bloating or constipation or diarrhea or digestive disturbances or burping. Or what else can I have? Other annoying things that have to do with my gut. You don't want that, really? Mm, well, I guess now that I think about it, I might kind of want to have mm. bloating. My favorite part about having digestive disturbances is almost not making it to the toilet. I just love when I'm running through a crowded store thinking, oh, if I only have 10 more seconds, I'm going to poo myself. I don't think I want to lose that. I could see that being a really attractive reason to not work on your gut health. Mm -hmm. So, Amy, why else, other than those beautiful things we all love to have, why else is gut health important? Well, isn't that enough reasons why? Yeah, but give us more. Come on, give us more. Hmm, more. Hmm. Because, Brittany, your gut health plays a role in your whole body. That's right. Not just your gut. The whole thing. The whole body. The whole one, two, three, four, five, seven. seven. <laughs> what are we counting? I don't know. I, don't, I just felt like I had to count in that moment to really emphasize that it was a whole 100% where the gut plays a role in the body. The whole body, Amy. Seriously, all one, two, three, four, five, six, a hundred percent of it. Yes, Brittany. The unhealthy gut can contribute to, and this is not a complete list. This is just some of the highlights of the things that your gut can contribute to. Drum roll, please. Brrr. Diabetes, obesity, skin problems like eczema, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune problems, IBS, depression, brain fog, chronic fatigue syndrome, histamine intolerance, mast cell activation syndrome. <sighs> Whoo! <laughs> Did you breathe at all through that list? <sighs> and not breathing fully when you name a list of problems. <laughs> so why is that? How can your gut health affect all of these different parts of our bodies, like our skin or our mood, our energy levels and immune systems? I need to know more. God, Brittany, you're so curious and demanding today. I, I think am. your gut health has made you it's piqued be interest. more inquisitive. <laughs> <laughs> and gut health can also make you be more inquisitive, more <laughs> curious. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I don't know. If it has to do with brain fog, maybe good gut health has to do with less brain fog. So you're very, very inquisitive and interested in everything. Ooh, ever since <laughs> I've worked on my gut health, I have felt like my IQ has gone up in place. <laughs> Thanks, gut health. <laughs> no, just kidding. But. In all seriousness, a few things that the gut can do is it can produce neurotransmitters, which affect our mood. It can synthesize vitamins like B12 and folate. The gut is involved in the release and degradation of hormones such as insulin or estrogen. Also, about 70% of our immune cells are in our gut. So our gut is doing so much more than just digesting our food. And interestingly, what led me to work on my gut health wasn't my digestive problems, but actually non-digestive problems that, as it turns out, were being severely impacted by my gut health. I've mentioned many times that I now have mast cell activation syndrome. It's a new condition that I'm dealing with, and it has different root causes for everyone. And so far, I've discovered that mine are hormones trauma and being stuck in fight or flight, and my gut health. And so I've been working with a functional medicine doctor on my gut health, and 
that has either diminished or even completely gotten rid of symptoms that I've had for months, like migraines, racing heart, insomnia, allergies to like everything, and brain fog. We did a comprehensive stool sample. We learned that I had gut dysbiosis. And gut dysbiosis is just a general term for basically an altered state of the gut microbiome that's usually associated with diseases or disorders. And I treated that for two months with antimicrobials, and then we did probiotics. And then my symptoms, you know, they severely, severely diminished. And then after I treated SIBO a couple months later, all of my daily symptoms that I had disappeared. I still have flares, so that's not to say that like I healed my condition and now I'm just suddenly better. But basically addressing my gut dysbiosis and my SIBO pushed me from being in a state of continuous flaring to having sporadic flares like a couple times a week. And you know what's really interesting is that after treating my SIBO, I realized that both of my bladder pain from IC and my fibromyalgia pain vanished. Like, they're gone and they've been gone for over a year. I will say that at the same time I was using Curable, which is a pain psychology app. So I really don't know if it was treating my SIBO or using Curable or doing both. But I really strongly suspect that treating SIBO played an enormous role in the IC and the fibromyalgia pain going away because food was always my biggest flare for both of those and especially for my fibromyalgia pain. And now all these foods that I ate before that would instantly give me a fibro flare, don't do that, which is like shocking. But of course, I feel like there's like 50 disclaimers at the beginning, but this is just my personal experience, right? So I'm not suggesting that everyone who has mass activation syndrome or everyone has a migraine or racing heart or fibromyalgia, I'm not suggesting that they rush out to work on their gut health. And in fact, even though these episodes are about gut health, we're not even generally recommending that everyone go work on their gut health because maybe your gut health is just fine. And that's not one of your puzzle pieces to improving your quality of life the way that it's been mine. And the final kind of like disclaimer that we want to say is nowadays there is so much talk about gut health and healing your gut and the gut is the root of all evil. No, just kidding. But saying that the gut is the root of all health problems and there's even people saying that the root cause of endometriosis is altered gut health, which is misinformation, by the way. So I know, you know, that I just said in my one long breath, all of these conditions that may be impacted by gut health, but the key word there is may. For some people, their, their gut health may impact their condition or their syndrome that they have, depending on what it is, of course. But for others, it may not. Now we're going to talk about the bacteria in our body, in our gut, living in our gut, having parties in our gut, wreaking havoc in our gut. Ah! No, that sounds fun. I don't like the idea of all these little bacterias around inside of me. Brittany, you need to get on board with that idea because 
Do you know how many bacteria are in our gut? I mean, one grosses me out enough, so I feel like I don't want to (laughs) know. But I think you're going to tell me anyway. Try to guess how many bacteria live in our gut, in the colony there, breaking down our food, doing things to our mood, our skin, our digestion. Try to guess. I'm going to guess that there's one bajillion bacteria in our gut. That's not a real number, but I'm scared of what the real number is. Brittany, you're so close. It's not one bajillion. It is a hundred trillion microorganisms. It gave me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. Well, I think the heebie-jeebies are inside of you. probably the bacteria. (laughs) No. You are a big walking (laughs) heebie-jeebie. I mean, a hundred trillion of them. Guess how many human cells we have in our body. Not a hundred trillion. I don't know the number. But if you took 100 trillion and divided by 10, but basically we have 10 times more bacteria than human cells. That's just like my brain is like short circuiting, like that's what's happening in my brain right now. One trillion is a number that is pretty unfathomable to us because it's it's a number that like we as humans have a really, really hard time comprehending because it is just so ridiculously large. Like. One trillion has 12 zeros in it. That's a lot of zeros. And to put that in perspective, a million has six zeros and a billion has a nine zeros. And then we have a trillion that has 12 zeros in it. This is something that has always helped me have perspective on just how much a trillion really is. So we're more familiar with the billion. If you had a billion seconds, that would equal 31.71 years. So I'm 35, so I've had over a billion seconds of my life. Yes. And I probably spent most of them feeling sick, let's not lie. Probably. But some of them have joyous seconds. Some seconds were good. (laughs) Yeah, some of them were filled with love and happiness and... What else, do, what else do people have that's positive in their life? A good, mm. a good poop, not a bad poop. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think like, okay, if I had a billion dollars, it would take me almost 32 years to spend one dollar a day. That's quite astronomical. But take that and pop it to the trillion. One trillion seconds is equal to 31,709 years. So you could never, ever experience that in one singular lifetime. 31,709 years. Wow. So the jump between 31 years to 31,000 years, that kind of helps my brain to comprehend this incomprehensible number. So what you're saying with all of that comparison is that there is an astronomical amount of bacteria in our gut. The heebie-jeebies live inside of us. And there's a lot of them. What if they all rebelled and just, like, took over our bodies? I think we'd be in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> That's when people are the walking dead. When the, when oh, the, gut the zombies bacteria are just, just the out-of-control gut bacteria. That makes more sense. Now I could see that. So all of those gut bacteria make up what's called our gut microbiome. So if you hear people talking about the gut microbiome, then you know that that's all of the bacterias in our gut that that is making that up. The only thing that makes thinking about gut bacteria better is when I think about them as species, like they're their own little individual animal. 
And did you know that there's about 400 different species of gut bacteria that we could possibly have inside of us? That's 400 different types of beautiful gut bacteria. Makes a little more, I was going to say digestible, but that's a pun. I'm going to, yeah, it makes it more digestible for me. (laughs) And I've actually seen some information saying that we can have anywhere from 300 to 1,000, 1,000 different species of gut bacteria. And since there are so many species and gut bacteria in us, I think this really brings up the question of what makes up a healthy gut versus an unhealthy gut. And the answer to that is we don't really know yet. So the gut microbiome varies from person to person. I put a really interesting article by Lucy Mailing, PhD, in the show notes on what the gut microbiome is. And so she says that if we pick any two people, on average, they're only going to have about one-third of the same gut bacteria. And the other two-thirds will vary drastically due to their genetics, their environment, diet, antibiotic use, mode of birth, and other factors. So there probably isn't a specifically universally healthy microbiome. Like, if your microbiome looks exactly like this, that's healthy. You know, and to quote her, she says, quote, at the moment, a healthy microbiome is probably the microbiome you have when you're healthy, end quote. However, we do know that things like gut infections are not part of a healthy microbiome. So parasites, fungi, pathogenic and opportunistic bacteria, etc., those are things that need to be treated. In my own case, I had Giardia, which is a parasite. I had gut dysbiosis, which showed various overgrowths of opportunistic bacteria. And I had SIBO, all of which needed to be treated medically. All of these different types of species of these 100 trillion microorganisms play a huge role in our health. I want my bacteria to be happy. What do I have to do? How can I make them happy? Should I sing them a love song and then a lullaby to go to sleep and then should I serenade them? I mean, I think all of those things could make them feel um, nice, (laughs) but I don't think they're going to make them happy. They may make you feel nice, but there is a way you can make your gut feel happy. Oh my God, tell me how. So the two things that you definitely want to do to make those 100 trillion microorganisms feel at peace inside of you is to get the good bacteria population up and in your gut. So the happy bacteria, not the mean bacteria. Oh, God, get rid of the bad ones, put in the good ones. Exactly. I want 100 trillion good ones, not 100 trillion devils. Exactly. The second thing. By the way, that would be a lot of devils. Oh, my goodness. Well, maybe that's why there's so much cramping. They all have little pitchforks, 100 trillion <laughs> pitchforks, and they're stabbing you. You know, when we have knife poo, well, you know, maybe that's why. <laughs> a happy gut is a happy you. <laughs> oh, I feel like that should be at the end of some pharmaceutical commercial on TV for your microbiome. It's like, take this pill. Help the 100 trillion bacteria in your gut. Cue music. Woman la, 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 dancing la, la, in a field. La, la, la. Lilacs around her. Oh, this is beautiful. Swaying in the breeze. 100 trillion. 100 trillion (laughs) 
bacterias are happy. <laughs> then it goes to a musical and the lights fade and they say, a happy gut is a happy you. That sounds like some kind of dystopian, like, Stepford Wives version. All right. Of happy I gut. see this commercial that I just designed on TV. That was my copyright. Copyright it. I'm going to sue you for $100 trillion. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Essentially, at that point, it's infinite dollars. So how do we try and keep our gut microbiome healthy? And how do we help an unhealthy gut microbiome? That's going to be something individual to each person, depending on their microbiome and what it needs. But there are generally some ways that we can help our gut. One of these we already mentioned, which is treating gut infections. And some of the other things that we can do, some of which we're going to talk about in this two-part series in depth, is we can reduce our stress especially chronic stress, so that our body is in the good old rest and digest mode and not the fight or flight mode. We also want to make sure that we have good digestion, which involves having enough stomach acid. Our diet greatly affects our gut microbiome. And overconsumption of ultra-processed foods, sugars, and highly refined carbs can inflame the gut. And for some of us, gluten can as well. So limiting these and instead prioritizing a variety of nutrient-dense food and fiber-rich food is recommended. We also want to be doing major health behaviors. These are things like getting enough sleep, getting enough daily movement, getting sunshine, socializing, etc. So all of those things that I just mentioned are a really good foundation for everyone to help set us up for optimal health as humans. And then after that, there are more specific things that we can do, and we're going to talk about some of those in a bit. But I do think it's important to say, again, that working on gut health is individual, and also that working on our gut health takes time. You know, it took me over a year to get my gut back into a healthier state, and I'm not sure if it's like the healthiest it could be, but I definitely feel like a trillion times better. You know, seriously, it's like night and day with my histamine, with my mast cell, with my gut health. So I think working on gut health involves patience and involves time because it can take anywhere from three to six months or more to really work on your gut health. Of course, having said that, you know, if you change the way that you eat or you started some new probiotics and like a month goes by and you haven't seen any improvement, or you're feeling worse, then that could be a sign that that's not the right fit for you. While it took me a year to get into this healthier state of gut health, I saw improvements pretty quickly, like, I don't know, maybe in a month or something. It's like I had signs along the way that what I was doing was the right path for my gut. There's a lot of recommendations out there for gut health. And so, you know, It can be very confusing or feel like, okay, do I need to take probiotics? Do I have to eat fermented foods? And the answer is no. You know, you don't have to do any of those things. What you need is going to depend on your microbiome and your own gut health. And we're just putting these tips out here for like background knowledge, but we're not telling you to go do them. We're not saying go do every single one of these or even any of these. So please don't feel pressure 
or that you have to go down every single rabbit hole of gut health. Now on to the tips. The first thing that we want to mention is food. Surprise! I bet you didn't expect that! <laughs> no way! Oh my gosh, they're talking about food again? Yes, we are talking about food Always again. Always talking about food. But we're going to keep it very brief. But we just thought it would be a disservice if we, in an episode about gut health, we did not mention food. We know that our diet is really important in our health. Not just with endometriosis, but with our overall health. What's interesting is that your gut microbiome can change depending on what you eat. And studies are suggesting that it can change very quickly within just 24 hours of changing your diet. Wow. So when they say you are what you eat, they really mean it. And they also mean you are what you eat quite quickly. Well, this is interesting because it suggested that your gut microbiome can change when you go from, for example, raw vegetables to cooked vegetables. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So we want to point out as one of our tips is that in order to have a diverse and healthy gut bacteria, it's a really good idea to eat a wide variety of food. These can include fiber-rich foods like fruits and vegetables and whole grains. There are so many different kinds of vegetables that probably, no, I would say definitely we could eat a different vegetable every single day for two weeks without repeating the same vegetable. Two weeks seems like short. I'm sure we could go for like two months. There's so many vegetables. There's hundreds of vegetables. The question is, would you like all the vegetables? (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Some of us only like about five to 10 vegetables. Yeah. 10 to 15 if we're lucky. But I'm trying to eat one. I'm trying to eat every. I just go to the store. I'm like, I'll take one of you. I'll take one of you. (laughs) The variety pack. Me picking one of everything and then also a second of everything, but cooking it in a completely different way. (laughs) I'll eat you raw. I'll eat you cooked. I'll eat you in a salad. (laughs) See, there's variety. (laughs) When talking about food, I think it's important to talk about our eating pattern. So like what we eat consistently. Earlier in this episode, I said that an overconsumption of ultra-processed foods, sugar, and highly refined carbs could inflame the gut. But I think the key here is overconsumption. So for example, eating a donut once in a while is not the same as eating a donut daily. And I think sometimes we get so scared, and I know this has happened to me, we get so scared to have a treat because we're worried that it's going to hurt our health, right? It's going to hurt our gut health and I can't even have a donut. I can't even have a cookie. And I've come to realize that it's not about the things that I do once in a while. It's not about the occasional treat that I infrequently have. It's about a pattern of what we're eating. And yeah, of course, maybe having a donut could send some of us into an endo flare. I certainly know that donuts send me into an endo flare. In fact, I have a vivid memory of having a glazed donut. When I first came back to the United States after living abroad for 10 years, and I had a glazed donut, and then (laughs) I, like, dropped to the ground an endo flare within, like, an hour, and it was not good, but, woo, the donut was good. Wow. But having an endo flare is different than what we're talking about here with gut health. You know, I think what I've learned when it comes to eating is focusing on my overall eating pattern, on what I'm eating most of the time. And if I want to have a treat once in a while, and I choose to have a treat, then I do so without guilt or shame or fear. 
All right, next. We have all heard of probiotics. But how much do we really know about probiotics? Do you know that there are different strands of probiotics? Different dosages? Different amounts of bacterias? Brittany. Amy. Pop quiz. Okay. Name a strain of probiotic. Well, that's easy. It's my best friend, Bifidobacterium. But I thought, Biff. I thought I was your best friend. <laughs> um, we need to have a conversation outside we can have of the a podcast. Love, we can have a love triangle with Bifido. <laughs> also, oh, Bifido keeps us it, happy. Doesn't it Bifidobacteria sound like it would be a, like a probiotic, like a microorganism? That would be really buff. Yes, like, like Biff. Like, hey, yeah. man, my name's Biff. <laughs> it's like some like 1950s greaser. Like, yeah, I got a whole image in my head. <laughs> All right, Brittany, can you name another one? Why, yes, Amy, I can. Lactobacillus. Ooh, good old lacto. I like the psyllis. Feels, feels nice. Sounds like Phyllis. Oh. Oh, I'm imagining lactobacillus is like <laughs> an older lady with wire rim glasses sitting in a rocker looking out the window. Oh, I can imagine the stories Phyllis would tell. <laughs> Those are some pretty common strains of probiotics that you may or may not have heard of. I didn't realize until I started taking probiotics that some probiotics are actually soil-based or what's called spore-forming. So they can be from soil or from healthy fungus, which is very interesting. The one I'm taking now is actually made from spores. I think it can be really confusing for us as consumers. We are like, okay, we want to take this step that we want to go buy probiotics. And then it's just the market is flooded with different kinds of probiotics. And there's so many brand names. There's so many types. There's needs to be refrigerated, doesn't need to be refrigerated. Like there's just such a variety of probiotics that it can be really confusing to know what is going to be good for us and what is just going to like be ineffective and be a waste of our money. Sometimes the probiotics that, like depending on the brand, the probiotics that we buy are going to be ineffective in the gut. Probiotics are living microorganisms in that little capsule, but they're so tiny. There's just like, there can be billions of them in that little capsule that you take. And sometimes they can already arrive dead. Oh, poor little babies. R.I.P. Rest in pill. That's why a lot of probiotics that need to be refrigerated is because they can die in the heat. And so if it's summertime and the probiotics are moving from the warehouses to the trucks to sitting on the package on your doorstep for seven hours in 90 degrees Fahrenheit heat when you're at work, I mean, by the time the probiotic gets to you, it might be dead. And so therefore, poor little babies, it might be useless. So you're just taking this like useless pill full of dead microorganisms. Kind of creepy. Ugh. Yeah, your gut is a cemetery, I guess. You put Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, you buried them in the gut, you know. <laughs> Another thing is that there are a lot of probiotic brands that just take a bunch of different probiotic strands without having done any research about which ones work and which ones don't work as well. And then they stick them all in a pill and they're like, this pill has all the probiotics. And you're like, okay, I don't need all the strands. Evidence is actually showing that the benefits a person can get from probiotics are disease-specific 
and strain-specific. Various probiotics have been studied in randomized placebo-controlled human trials for their efficacy and safety for IBS, skin conditions, IBD, anxiety, depression, and more. But even so, my understanding is that there's not a general consensus on what probiotics are the best for what conditions. There's also conflicting opinions on whether probiotics are even needed for healthy individuals, with some researchers now saying that they aren't needed at all. We often hear that we should take probiotics alongside of antibiotics, but recent research suggests that probiotics may actually slow the recovery of the normal microbiome after antibiotics. So I've linked in the show notes the website of Lucy Mailing, PhD, who's written in-depth on this study. So I think an important question if you're thinking about probiotics is, why do I want to take a probiotic? Am I looking to help a certain condition? And then looking to see if there's a probiotic strain that has been studied for that condition. And if you're using a probiotic that claims to have certain health benefits, there should be evidence on that strain and hopefully even on that specific product. When it comes to probiotics, I thought that I had to take probiotics because everyone's talking about them and recommending them and, oh, probiotics are so great and blah, blah, blah. But we don't have to take something just because everyone else is because we're all individuals. It's personal to us and to what our body and to what our microbiome needs. So for example, I started taking probiotics when my histamine stuff started because I read online that The gut can be a big root cause for mast cell problems. And I was like, oh, I want to help my gut. And then I was reading all these things like, oh, probiotics are great for the gut, blah, blah, blah. And then I started taking a probiotic not knowing that gut bacteria can produce histamine and that certain probiotic strains can actually increase histamine. No! My nightmare. And so actually the probiotics that I was taking was making my symptoms worse. And luckily I noticed, and after like two weeks I stopped, and then I started looking that up and like learned that. And so I think that says something too about our intuition. And if we're trying a probiotic, but we think that it's not helping, then maybe it's not helping. And we should pay attention to those signs in our body. You know, and as it turned out, what I needed to do, which I didn't learn until I actually worked with a doctor on my gut health was I needed to treat my gut infections and the overgrowth of opportunistic bacteria and then support my gut with probiotics using specific strains that don't increase histamine. This kind of makes me think of my adventure with kombucha, which is a fermented tea that can have microorganisms in it and have health benefits the way that probiotics can. So a few years ago, I was making my own kombucha So I was making it at home, and it's pretty easy to make. So I was making it at home, and it was really delicious, but it was really strong. And I shared it with my roommates because it always made a really big batch. And so I noticed that on the days that I drank it, first of all, it completely took away my appetite for the entire day. Like, I had zero appetite. But it also made me feel, like, really bizarre. I felt, I don't know, I felt like I had this weird brain fog. I just felt like I had a harder time like comprehending things when people talked to me. 
And then I would be doing my work and I would feel like I just couldn't understand the Excel document. Like I just didn't feel as sharp as I normally do. But then my roommate, every day she was like, oh my gosh, I love this kombucha. Like I feel so good. It's like totally help with my sugar cravings. And I'm just so sharp at work. I concentrate so well. And I was like, why are we having totally different effects from this kombucha? And so it it was so bad that I was like, you know what? This kombucha is doing something to me that I have to like stop making it. And so she took over making it because she like loved the effects it was having on her. Goes to show that the kombucha, the microorganisms were affecting me differently than they were affecting her. Lucky for her, not lucky for you. I kind of feel like the kombucha in that time was like secretly poisoning me. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. But I definitely saw how it affected my mood, how it affected my ability to think. So for me, that little kombucha experiment slash adventure taught me that homemade kombucha is not for me. No, thank you. Like, nope. (laughs) I'm really grateful because... In these past few months, I've been able to work on my gut and digestive health with a doctor, and it is helping me so much. I am starting to feel really, really good in terms of my digestion, in terms of the bloating, much less bloating. My poo is just coming out like so perfectly. It's a miracle. A miracle poo. So beautiful. My boyfriend heard that. He's like, I want beautiful miracle poo. I was like, yeah, well, (laughs) go work with my doctor. And there you go. So we just talked about probiotics for like eight years. And I'm sure you've heard about probiotics. But we also wanted to just quickly mention prebiotics because that was something that was even new to me in the last couple months. I hadn't really heard that term before. A prebiotic is basically a fiber that's indigestible. And it goes into your intestinal tract and feeds that good bacteria. So since some of these foods do this, and they are called prebiotics, we just wanted to mention that and mention what some of those are. My personal favorite is raw garlic. Love me some raw garlic. Ooh, raw That's a prebiotic. When it gets in there, the bacteria is like, raw garlic! It's a party! Woohoo! She's feasting! <laughs> we are both very Italian and love some garlic. <laughs> Also, things like raw onions, asparagus, green bananas, so unripened bananas, or dandelion greens. There's a bunch of things that are considered prebiotic. So if you want to help foster the good bacteria, you can look up some foods that help you do that. Did you know that all prebiotics are fiber, but not all fiber is prebiotic? Also, most Americans do not get enough fiber. And fiber is vital, vital for gut health. And it's also associated with health benefits outside of the GI tract. Eating enough fiber can help with constipation, bowel regularity, diarrhea, and more. Yes, yes, and yes. Help me with those, please. But, as we mentioned in a previous episode, it is also true that there's different types of fiber. And for some of us, fiber can cause digestive disturbances. So the fiber that we eat is individual to us. Keep in mind that if we're increasing our fiber intake, it's recommended to do so slowly, as well as also increasing our water intake. And this may help to avoid or to minimize GI upset. 
Another nice way to get prebiotic in your body is by using resistant starch. Resistant? That sounds like it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's resistant. It's like a social movement for the, <laughs> the resistance. <laughs> you mean the resistance. The resistance is what I mean, actually. <laughs> so it's called resistant starch because it's resistant to us as humans, and it passes through the digestive tract without digesting it so that it can feed the bacteria, the trillions of minions in your gut. Minions? Yeah. Little minions. So you can look up some examples online, but like Brittany said, there's, for example, unripe bananas. There's plantains, rice and potatoes. Once you cook them and then they cool down, those have resistant starch. So a convenient way to get resistant starch is to do some meal prep the day before. For example, you can cook rice or potatoes ahead of time to eat the next day. And we want to be clear here that, of course, you do not need to go out of your way to do this, right? It's not like every time I eat rice, I'm like, oh, no, I can't eat this rice hot. I have to wait until it cools down or I have to eat it tomorrow. Let me make my food prep really laborious. No. Okay, let's not make this a chore. Let's not make this another thing that we have to do, another rabbit hole to go down. And while it's better to get resistant starch from food, you can also buy different types of resistant starch and powders. So, for example, you can buy potato starch, and then you can put that in a smoothie or in a drink. Start small, though. Yeah. <laughs> worth, tip. worth mentioning that if you're going to buy, because think about when you take any kind of probiotics or prebiotics or resistant starch, you're affecting your gut bacteria, And your gut bacteria affect you, as we said. And so, like, I know when I started taking the probiotics that I'm taking now, they actually say that you're supposed to take one every other day for a week. And then after one week, you take one a day. And then after one week of that, so at, starting at three weeks is when you take the full dose of two per day. And seriously, the first time I took it, I literally took one. And within half an hour, I was like farting and I was in the bathroom. Oh, can I not say farting? I meant to say Releasing gas. <laughs> gas releases. Excusez-moi. La resistance of the La anus. resistance of the body. <laughs> the body resistance. Basically, when you start to make changes to the microbiome, you can start to have digestive disturbances, even though many times it's actually going to help the digestive disturbances in the long run. It's really good to start slow. So like if you want to put resistant starch and it's like, Put in one teaspoon to your drink. I would not, for the life of you, do not recommend. Start at one <laughs> do teaspoon. Do not recommend. You like take a teaspoon, then you like crap yourself in oh, the car yeah. on the way Don't to work. Don't do that. <laughs> so you can start, you know, sprinkle it in. Like, and I also feel like with endometriosis, we're just so sensitive, and that's what I've been telling over and over to the doctor, who's like, "Here, I want you to take these pills now." And I'm like, "Okay, the full dose says three. I'm going to start on half of a pill and move up by half a pill a day. And at the end of one week, I will be on three because." I just feel like our bodies are very sensitive. Many of us get very highly affected by the things that we put in our body. So I do think that many of us have to be a little more careful about slowly introducing new things to our body and not just being like, take this. And body's like, oh my God, what is this? Just like that. Let's expand on something you mentioned earlier, a way for people to know thy gut better. I have something fun if people want to know about their 
talks about What's more their, fun than talking about, about diarrhea? About their unique bacteria in their intestines. Unique, just like me. Yeah, you're unique. Yeah. Just like everyone else. Everyone, yeah. You're so <laughs> special, Brittany. She's so mean to me. <laughs> well, what I'm referring to is you can do this fancy thing called a GI mapping. Ooh, how do I do that? You get the map, and then you go on a treasure hunt mm-hmm. to find the gold on the other side of the island. What is the gold? Well, the pot of gold, Brittany, is feeling better. Oh. But the map for the treasure hunts is your stool sample. A stool sample? (laughs) Whoa, that took a turn. (laughs) Well, the GI map is the name of a stool test that I did. And it helps me because it indicated that I had gut dysbiosis. And it guided the doctor that I was working with to know that we needed to reduce the overgrowth of opportunistic bacteria before feeding and supporting my microbiome with probiotics and stuff. However, since a few years ago and doing the GI map, I've seen criticisms about this specific stool sample. So likely it's not the most accurate one out there. I went ahead and I put a link in the show notes, which breaks down different types of stool testings and some of the tests available. It's a good read if you're thinking about doing a stool sample. With stool samples, there is a difference between doing a comprehensive stool sample versus a standard stool sample. A comprehensive stool sample will go a lot more in depth than the standard stool sample will. And depending on the test, the stool sample can look for bacterial and pathogenic overgrowth, parasitic pathogens, fungi, yeast, inflammatory markers, immune markers, beneficial bacteria, and more. Different stool tests have different pros and cons, and some doctors actually use a combination of different tests along with some other methods and your symptoms to get like a big picture of the person's gut health. Keep in mind that a stool sample is just a snapshot of the bacteria in your stool. Say cheese! (laughs) Cheese. Okay. What's coming out is the bacteria in your stool at this time. And this may not be reflective of the bacteria in your actual microbiome. That science with a stool sample is just not there yet. So be wary of the different claims that certain tests or certain practitioners make. You may or may not need a stool sample. That's something that you and your doctor can discuss depending on your symptoms and your treatment goals. And like always, I think it's important to work with a doctor who is knowledgeable about gut health and stool samples. For me, working on my gut health, which involved getting a comprehensive stool sample, was a really important piece of my puzzle. But for you, it might not be. You know, maybe your time and your energy and your money is going to be better spent addressing another aspect of your health, like getting pelvic floor therapy or getting excision or or getting hormone replacement therapy or working with a trauma-informed mental health professional. There are so many puzzle pieces to try to address our health and improve our quality of life, and it's individual to all of us. For me, tackling the gut aspect has been key. So as part of that, 
I decided to do a stool sample, which, by the way, I did at work because you're supposed to mail the sample fresh via FedEx. It was so funny. She's like, here's my stool sample. Like, Be quiet. Don't let everybody else know that. <laughs> I didn't, but you had to mark on the thing. It's like a human specimen so on the FedEx funny. box on the outside. Like trying to you, smuggle it to the mailbox. <laughs> they give you the bag and FedEx, like, you have to mark, like, human specimens. So when I left so it at funny. the front desk for FedEx... The front desk coordinator was like, what's in there? You don't want to know. Something medical. Just make sure it goes out with FedEx at 10 a.m., please. It's sterile and clean, but I would not recommend handling it too much. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to have to redo that one tomorrow. So I really appreciate if it get out in the mail today. Well, I wanted to do it at home, but hey, the stool wouldn't come out when I was at home. It wasn't ready. It comes out when it's ready. You just have to go by the stool schedule, okay? Literally. The protocol that my doctor has been now over the last few months to treat my gut dysbiosis has done absolute wonders for the histamine intolerance. And I mean, like, serious wonders. And while I'm not better yet, yet, Brittany, while I'm not better yet, 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 the crippling symptoms are gone and I'm able to eat in moderation, many more foods than I could. A modern miracle. So I think this is as good a place as ever to leave off for today because we have so much more to talk about. So in the very next episode, we're going to pick right back up with the final tips for gut health and digestion. So take some time to digest. All that information that we've given you today. <laughs> yeah, Brittany, we want to we want to take all this information we want to make into digestible bites. <laughs> <laughs> We're so funny. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And you can find us on Instagram at in 16 years of endo. And you can find us on the website in 16years.com. Thanks so much for listening. And our 10 trillion gut bacteria, actually 20 because <laughs> it's me and Brittany, 20 trillion gut bacteria. So we'll be back next week for more tips. They're hungry for more. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're terrible. I know. 